0: Okay, well, it's great to be with you. Um, As Jason said, we're in a series uh, called Restored, and hopefully you're aware of that. If you come here regularly, if you're new, it's great to have you here. And we're really just talking about how God wants us to know freedom and wants us to get free from different er areas or issues in our life. And as part of the series, we're doing what we're calling Freedom Days. And these are days that you can sign up for. We'd love to invite you to do that where there'll be some teaching, there'll be an opportunity if you'd like to, to talk and share and be prayed with. You don't have to do that if you don't want to, but we would really encourage you to come along to one of those and give God, if you like, that day and see what might happen in your life because you've done that. In the Bible, there are amazing promises about how God wants to change us and transform us. Okay, in fact, that's written throughout the Bible. And um, if you're a Christian here, in other words, you've got to that point where you've given your life to Jesus there will be seasons and areas in your life where you will radically experience what that change is like. You will know that there will be a moment and a seasons in your life where you, you're this kind of person, then suddenly things just shift and change, you get free of certain issues, and people will say to you, you've really changed, and they will make that kind of comment to you. And they can see the transformation and the change in you. But there are other challenges or other situations sometimes in our life where the change, if you like, doesn't always happen as quickly as we hoped Sometimes, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll discover that there are certain issues, sometimes, that you don't walk as free from that you'd like to. Certain things, these cycles, sometimes you feel like you got stuck in, where change seems to come a bit harder, and you don't walk into freedom the way you hoped you would. Now, there are a bunch of reasons for that, okay? One of the reasons is, is that we live in a world which has fallen, and the, kind of, the world that we live in and, in and operate in and work in, sometimes is at odds... With what we believe as a Christian, and it can be quite a difficult context to live your Christian life out in the world. And so sometimes we're challenged by the world we live in. We're also challenged simply by our own flesh and blood. Like, we're, if you become a Christian, God something radically happens inside you. The Spirit of God comes to live in you. You're a new person, but you're still encased in this body, where you find that sin still tempts you, and you're challenged, if you like, by your own flesh. And that's why one of the issues of change comes down to simply making good choices. That's absolutely biblical. That's why last week we talked about the issue of making choices. I remember a few years ago, I preached a message here, and just before I got up, someone told me, could you tell everybody in the church there's a traffic warden outside giving out tickets? And we had a whole bunch of people who were parked basically illegally. So I had to get up before I preached, so I said, I like, oh, just want you to know, there's a traffic warden out front, there's two or three, and I'm not kidding, I've never seen people move so fast in church in my entire life. It's the best response I've ever had to any of my messages, a bit demoralizing, and people were going out correctly to get to their cars, and a bunch of people got tickets. Now, did they get tickets because the evil powers were warring against them that day and were manifesting in the demonic form of a traffic warden? No, I know it's tempting to think that the traffic warden is demonic but clearly not. They got tickets because they made a bad choice about where they put their car. Right? So it's to do with personal responsibility and choices. So some of the reasons and seasons and things we go through which are a bit difficult are simply because we're challenged by the world, we're challenged by our own flesh sometimes. We contend with that. But also and this is really what I want to speak on today, sometimes we hit areas of our life which are hard either in terms of just it just seems like a difficult season or things where we just don't seem to be getting free of something, because the Bible says there is spiritual opposition. There is a spiritual battle. In other words, there are unseen evil forces whose whole aim is to hinder and derail and destroy and prevent us from becoming the people Jesus wants us to become and, and wants to stop us from walking into freedom. Now, I know as soon as I say that, that will get a whole bunch of different responses in the room. For some of you, that kind of subject is absolutely in line with your background, uh, your worldview, and you'll feel very comfortable. You may have come from a background where there's been quite a lot of emphasis on the devil or the demonic or that kind of thing. How many of us come from more that kind of background? We've had quite a lot of teaching and talk about this. Okay. That's great. So of what I'm going to say today, I suspect you'll feel very comfortable with and some of it might be new. Others of us, we come from a background where there's been very little talk on this, very little emphasis about this side of what the Bible talks about. How many of us come from a, a background where there's very little talk of this? Just stick your hand up. As a few of us, that's fine as well. And you might be, you may not be, but you may be sitting there sort of more, slightly more uncomfortable thinking, where is he going to go with this today? So well, what I want to go is I want to go to a passage in Ephesians, it's in the New Testament. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Ephesians 6. If you haven't, it's going to come up on the screen. And we're going to read some verses here, which I think have a lot to teach us when it comes to the issue of spiritual opposition and walking in freedom. And this whole series is about walking in freedom. So we're going to read from verse 10, and this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. Notice the word "stand" again. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes. From the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now, I want you to notice this is right at the end of Ephesians. It's the last, pretty much the last thing Paul says. Now think, when you say goodbye to people you care about, maybe you're writing a letter, maybe you're saying goodbye at an airport, something like that, what happens at the end in terms of what's the kind of last things you often want to say? I want to suggest to you the last things you often want to say are the things that you think are important and the things you think are urgent, the things you want them as they go and as you go, you want them to remember, Right? So when I say goodbye to my kids before they go off to school in the morning, I say things I want them to remember as they leave. I will say things like, I want you to know I love you. And they might go, yeah, thanks. Or I might say, be safe out there. Okay, make good choices. Do well today at school. I'll say things I want them to remember as they go. I'll also say things like, have you got your PE kit? Where's your coat? It's minus five. And is that my lunch you're taking? Or things like that, but that's a completely different issue. So at the end of a letter, these are often the things, it's like, in summary, I want you to remember, before you go, remember these things. And Paul says at the end of Ephesians 6, this, finally, be strong in, his, in the Lord and in his mighty power. How? By putting on the full armor of God. Why? So we can take your, uh, so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes because our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. First of all, Paul is saying this. I want you to be aware that when you're a Christian, there is far more than what you can just see, and there is a battle going on. I want you to be aware. I think it's interesting, just so you know, if you read the Acts of the Apostles, Ephesus is an area where there is absolutely very clear demonic opposition to the gospel. He has, inc- he has quite a kind of standoff. And even to Christians from that city, he's going, be aware. There is a battle. Awareness is critical when it comes to living as a believer and walking freely. The battle is one of the reasons sometimes that freedom is hard. If you know anything about the Second World War, you'll know that in 1944, the Allied forces had the Normandy D-Day landings. Well, for a whole year before those landings, that invasion back into continental Europe, they had basically done this whole thing, I think called Operation Bodyguard, where they had, had basically done their very best job to confuse the Germans as to where the landings was going to take place. So they tried to convince them it was going to happen in Norway from Scotland. They tried to convince them it was going to happen in Calais and all around that area. They pumped them with false information on the radio. They built decoy platforms, put them in the channel to make it look like around Dover and other areas. There were loads and loads of ships assembling. They made all this stuff going on and on and on to make the Germans think it may be happening there or there. So when it happened in Normandy, a load of the German panzer divisions weren't anywhere near it. And that's one of the reasons why that invasion was successful, because they had confused them to think the attacks were going to come somewhere else, because awareness when it comes to a battle, it's critical. And Paul is saying, I want you to be aware the reality there is a spiritual battle. Now, some of us are very aware. Some of us in the room are probably too aware. And some of us are not aware enough. And probably the right balance is somewhere in the middle of all of that. C.S. Lewis, who once wrote what he called the screw tape Letters, once said this. I think this is a helpful quote. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils or the demonic or evil. One is to disbelieve in their existence. In other words, it's not true. It's like a myth. But the other is to believe and to feel an excessive, unhealthy interest in them. They, in other words the demonic realm, is equally pleased by both errors and hails a materialist or a magician with the same delight. So If you look at an issue in your life and you think, well, that was definitely the devil or demonic, you know, if you got to church late today and you think, well, that was the devil, there's probably an issue. It was probably you just slept too long, which would be hard when it's the 1.30 service, right? So if you see a demon behind every problem, that's probably a bit out of, that's probably the balance issue there that's maybe not quite right. But similarly, if you just think there's never any demonic opposition, maybe that's not quite right either. Let's be clear. Biblically, the Bible is very clear. The devil is real and demonic powers are real. Jesus describes the devil himself as the prince of this world. Ephesians 2, he's the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And 1 Peter 5 says this, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Jesus encounters Satan. And when he ministers to people, often there is a confrontation with demonic powers, and when Jesus arrives, demons go. That's the model of the kingdom. Mark 1 is the people's testimony about Jesus. They say this about him. The people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. Now, if you know the Gospels at all, you'll know that Jesus teaches again and again that the kingdom of God is coming, yeah? He talks about the kingdom a lot, and he, if you like, he heralds that the God's kingdom, that's like the rule and reign of God's kingdom, is coming to earth in a new way he heralds it he announces it but more than that he embodies it in other words the reason it's coming is because of him he is the embodiment of the kingdom of god coming to the earth in a new way and where you see that happening in the gospels where god's rule and reign comes people start to get free when you become a christian you're saying i want to i want your kingdom reign in my life and as that begins to happen people start to get free because the kingdom of god has come. You see that in Jesus' ministry. You see it in the disciples' ministry. You see it in the early church. It's normal that when the kingdom of God comes, freedom starts to come for people. So Paul is saying, listen, there is a battle. You will face opposition. Be aware. I think he's also saying, I want you to be aware in order that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. That word stand comes up again and again in Ephesians 6. In other words, Paul is saying this is your move. When you hit opposition, when you sense you are in a battle, so you're in a difficult situation, and for whatever reason this doesn't feel like normal, you discern it, and other people are saying this doesn't feel normal, and there's opposition. The move for you as a Christian, if you are a Christian, Paul says, is to stand. Now, I think it's really important that we understand this, because very often when people emphasize the demonic and the spiritual battle, often with that emphasis comes an approach where when we sense a demonic opposition to us, that actually what people will suggest is that we have to operate in a very aggressive, offensive way against demonic powers. That's often what comes with it. So in other words, we may have to pray in a certain way. So if we were launching a site somewhere, so we launched the Beckenham site a year ago, the idea would be we're going to go to Beckenham and we're going to pray against all the demonic powers over the geography in Beckenham and be very offensive against it. That's often what comes with an emphasis on spiritual warfare and spiritual battles. Well, definitely when we sense opposition, we should pray. Paul says in this passage, pray without ceasing. Pray in the spirit all the time. So we should definitely pray. And clearly there is a place in the Bible to rebuke Satan. Clearly there's a place when you're praying for people for deliverance and people to get free from demonic powers. Absolutely, that is completely right. And definitely we're all about advance. Jesus says the kingdom of God has been forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. So we want advance, but I want to suggest to you that our primary role when it comes to seeing advance as a Christian is that we do what Jesus taught us to do. So we pray your kingdom come, we pray your kingdom come into situations, and we do what he taught in the Great Commission, which is preach the gospel, share your faith, baptize people. Disciple people and send them out. We do what we're doing now. That's actually our primary move when it comes to seeing advancement and taking ground against an enemy is that we're to preach, baptize, disciple, and send people out. That's biblically the mandate on you and I primarily. And when we face opposition, we sense there's something demonic about this thing that's happening in our lives or something. that's Actually, our primary move, the Bible says, is to stand. So let me take you to one of other verses. 1 Peter 5, the verse we've mentioned before. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. You see? Resist, stand firm. James 4, submit yourselves to God. In other words, that's our first move as a Christian. Submit, like, say to Jesus, rule in my life. I want to give my life to you. Keep doing that. Submit first, then resist and he will flee from you. Resist and he will flee. Resist, stand, stand firm. That, if you like, is the language of the New Testament when it comes to Christians who face opposition that is evil and demonic. That's the primary language. Now, the reason I think it's like that, and for some of us who have been brought up, if you like a more aggressive approach to this kind of stuff, we might think that sounds a bit defensive. Well, let me tell you why I think that language is the way it is. I think it's the way it is because we need to understand, when we think about opposition in our own lives, we need to understand the context within which we face that opposition and the backdrop to which we face that opposition. Primarily, we face opposition in the shadow of what Jesus has already done on the cross. And if we understand how absolutely ultimate his victory is and therefore how ultimately defeated Satan is, then we will understand how we, how we are to operate in light of that. Okay? So let me take you to a couple of verses which I think help us understand this. Colossians 2, quite a famous passage about the cross, says this. "'When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ.' Notice this, he forgave us all our sins, forgiven, cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He's taken it away and nailed it to the cross. In other words, I was guilty and I had shame and I was unforgiven, but now I am not guilty and I'm forgiven and my shame has gone and it's been nailed to the cross as Jesus was nailed, dealt with completely. But then he says there's more. This is the next part. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. In other words, also at the cross, death, demons, the devil, all evil powers are utterly defeated at the cross, already Done. It means, and he says, the victory is so complete that they have been so disarmed they have now been made a public spectacle. He says they are being utterly humiliated. And the picture is of a defeated king, Satan, and his defeated armies who are being paraded through the city of the victorious king. And they're being paraded, humiliated, absolutely disarmed, totally bankrupt of any now ultimate power. That is what has already happened on the cross. Let me take you to another passage, Matthew 12. This is very important when it comes to this subject. In Matthew 12, Jesus heals and releases a demonized man who can't see and can't speak. And the Pharisees are not happy. Okay, they're not happy about this person being free. And so they say to Jesus, the only way you can be doing this is by the finger of Satan. You're, you're, you're casting out demons by the power of Satan, which is a pretty bizarre argument. So Jesus answers them, and then he says these words, which are very important words when it comes to this kind of issue. Uh, Chapter 12 of Matthew, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. See again, the kingdom of God has come, demons and demonic power has to move. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man, then... He can plunder his house. Now, sometimes people teach out of this passage that what Jesus is doing here is giving us a methodology as to how we are to pray against opposition and demonic power, that we are to bind the strong man in any situation. So we're going to go and launch this site in Beckenham. We're all going to go there, and we are going to bind the strong man over Beckenham, You may have heard people teach that or talk about that. And they will take this passion and go, look, this is what Jesus did. This is what we need to do. So we're going to bind it or we're going to bind it over that school or we're going to bind it over this family or whatever it is. And we have to keep praying until we sense that we bound the strong man and the demonic powers over that area or that geography, okay? And they will teach that. I don't think that's what this passage is saying. I don't think Jesus is teaching a methodology that we need to do. I think Jesus is talking about a truth that we need to stand on. Jesus is saying, he's referring to his own work. He's saying, through my life, through my coming, through my resistance to sin, through my death on a cross, Jesus is saying, I am once and for all binding the strong man, Satan. So it is done once and for. In other words, he's not saying this is a technique for how we have to do things. He's saying this is a truth you need to operate within. The reality that actually behind us, the backdrop to any Christian now is that his cross has been completely victorious, and the, bound, the, uh, the strong man Satan has been bound. And, and that is the context within which we understand our own battles. Let me give you a little story. When I was a um, I don't know, a teenager, we went on holiday abroad, and we were on a coach, and I remember getting off this coach somewhere in Italy, and we were, there was a service station, and, but between the coach and the service station was basically a guard dog, an Alsatian. I love dogs, but this Alsatian was pretty aggressive, and I was scared, and I didn't want to go to this place. Well, I wanted to get there, but I wouldn't go there because this dog was in between me and this building, and that, by the way, is what fear does to us. When we're fearful about certain things, we get caught, we get bound, because, and we won't step into the things we should step into because we're fearful. Now, one of the reasons I was fearful is because I had a bit of history with these kind of dogs. And history plays a big part, by the way, in us sometimes not being free. But I have some history because I grew up next door to a neighbor who had two outstations, and one of them attacked my mum, And... So they weren't particularly nice dogs and we would forever be playing football in our garden and we were forever kicking the ball over and we would always be arguing amongst me and my brothers as to who would go and ask the neighbours for our ball back, okay? And it was always bad news because you'd have to go past where the dogs were and they'd like go throw themselves at the fence, go crazy and gnashing their teeth and then the neighbours would open the door reluctantly and look at us and go, oh, don't worry about the dogs, they're just being friendly. You had a dog to say that to you, they're only being friendly. I'd like, please give me your definition of friendly, And they'd be there foaming at the teeth and going kind of crazy with their eyes. The dogs, not the neighbors, although the neighbors were a bit like that as well. So I have some history with these kind of dogs. So I'm at this service station. I don't want to go past this thing because I'm scared of it. And fear is holding me until I realize that this thing is chained. Now, I needed to work out how long that chain was because there's a certain radius issue here, okay? Okay. But, but somebody else had already gone in and dealt with the dog. And I realized someone else had already gone in and confronted it and sorted it and bound it up. Now, I would have been stupid to go in there and get close to it because it would have done some damage to me. But I realized because somebody else had bound it, I don't need to be scared of that anymore. I, as long as I walk in the right ways and in the right path, I'm safe now. I would be stupid to go there, but I don't need to go there. It's already been done on my behalf. I can get past and I can walk into the things I want to walk into because the thing is bound. Now, now there is a finite, you can't take that illustration too far. I realize that doesn't sum up the entire sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, but hopefully it helps you a little bit when we think about this issue. Satan, demonic forces are defeated, are disarmed and bound. And whilst there is a battle, ultimately we're safe. And that is why our move is to stand and stand firm because you have an enemy who doesn't want you standing, who wants you to give ground, who wants you to lose confidence in who God is and what God says about you, who wants to you, pull you back into fear, in other words, and wants to undermine your confidence, doesn't want you on your feet. And so Paul says, This is how you are to operate. You are to stand and stand firm. And the way you stand when you face opposition is to be strengthened. And the way you're strengthened is to put on what he calls the armor of God. Now, If you read the rest of Ephesians 6 about the armor of God, it's pictorial, it's a metaphor, and therefore it's difficult to be very prescriptive about exactly what he is saying under every bit of armor. What does it exactly mean? And all the different commentaries, if you read them, all say different stuff. So what I'm going to give you now in these last few minutes is just a quick overview of some of the things that it helps me to think of when I think of this. I'm not saying this is the end or all the revelation. I'm sure there's other things, there's lots of other things we could say and lots of other great things that should be taught about it. But Paul is saying, I think you've got to be strong so you can stand and you get strong by putting on, embracing, availing, if you like, all that Jesus has already won for us at the cross. In other words, to put on the spoils of his victory that he has already achieved. You've got to believe in it and stand in it. So he says, first of all, this, put on the belt of truth put it on. Now truth is very important to us because if you think about when we sin and when we get disobedient, we do that because we believed a lie somewhere, ultimately. We sin because we believe lies. (laughs) Adam first sins in the Garden of Eden because the serpent comes and says, did God really say that? He starts to undermine your confidence. Is God as good as he says he is or is God keeping good stuff for me that I might get my hands on if I'm disobedient? Romans 1 says, the world has exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and that's why we sin, and that's why we get caught in captivity. That's why we get not free anymore. We get restricted again. And Paul is saying, you've got to put on truth. You've got to put on truth. Sometimes, through hurt, and through pain, and through history, through things that were done to us, or things that should have been done for us or said to us that were never said and done for us. We have believed lies about who God is and about who we are. And those lies sometimes become so ingrained, and behind them sometimes a demonic influence, that it becomes so ingrained that the Bible says it becomes like a stronghold in our thinking. And if there becomes a stronghold in our thinking, I'm always rubbish, I'm rubbish. That, that influences the way I live, because how you think influences how you live. And we start to believe lies about God or about ourselves. And one of the ways you start to get free is you start to replace lies with truth about who he is and who he says you are and I am. So you have to pick up truth that God is good, that he's not keeping anything bad from you, or he's keeping bad things from you. And he's keeping, he wants you to have all the good stuff. Then he says you need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. By this, I take that to mean, and you can interpret it different ways what I, is, that, is that at the cross, if you're Christian, what happens is, your sin is treated as if it's Jesus, and Jesus' righteousness is treated as if it's yours. It's imputed. That's the theological phrase. And so when God looks at me now, there's been an exchange in other words. So when God looks at me, he doesn't see me the way I see me. What he sees is me clothed in Jesus' righteousness. So when the accusation comes, and by the way, the Bible says that Satan is the father of lies and the accuser of the brother. When the accusation comes and says, you shouldn't be in church today, how how can you lift your hands and worship when, when you did that or that's your history or when you watched that? When the accusation comes, you can go, do you know what? You're right. In some senses, I shouldn't be in church. But I have a righteousness that is not my own. And I know one who has made it possible for me to come. And you pick it up and you put it on. Or then he says, actually, you need to stand in, put on, the gospel of peace. Ephesians 2, Paul talks about the fact that we are now at peace with God and one another, that we were far away and now we've brought home. In other words, I'm accepted. You are accepted if you're a Christian. It means I'm at peace with him. It means whatever troubles come into my life, fundamentally I know I'm at peace because he's made it possible for me to be like that. Then he says, pick up the shield of faith. Pick it up. Sometimes we get into all kinds of trouble because we wonder what it is we've got to do for God to make him happy with us. People ask Jesus in John 6, what's the works of God? And Jesus said this word, he says, the work of God is simply to believe in the one He sent. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is the work you have to do, you just have to believe in me. That's the job description if you're a Christian. It's not about doing all these things, all these things will flow from this place, but fundamentally it's about believing in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, you pick it up. God, I do believe in you. Help me with my unbelief. And then he says, put on the helmet of salvation. Put it on. So whatever else is happening right now, remember you're saved. Remember that that is true of you. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're saved, which means this, no matter what else happens in my life, I'm safe and you are safe because this is true of you if you're a Christian. And then lastly, he says this, pick up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, because this is where truth is, and this is how you deal with lies. Jesus says, know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, I want to finish by telling you about something we did with, in the kids' ministry, or well, just a few weeks ago at the Lee site. We basically had the kids in for worship, and then we did this little teaching slot with them, which I thought was great. I don't know if they did. And basically, we got them down the front. And I said, tell me some things you know are true about God or how God feels about you. So they said, oh, God loves us. God cares about me. Great. We wrote them on bits of card. And we got them all up the front to hold on to bits of card saying, he loves me, he protects me, he cares for me, all those things. And that was all very sweet. And then I said, now I want you to just jump off the platform and just put it all back on the platform. You can just put your bits of card down. It's fine. So they did that. And then we talked about the difference between knowing truth holding on to truth, or knowing truth and just putting it down. Because often one of our issues is, is that we might know it intellectually, but actually what happens is we just put it back down. We leave church and we literally just put some of this stuff back down on the platform and we leave. We don't carry it with us. We don't take it with us. In fact, maybe what happens is we put that stuff down when we leave church and we carry other things with us. We carry words like this, lies. We carry pain. We carry sometimes unforgiveness. We carry hurt. And it shapes the way we think and the way we live. And we carry this stuff. When God is saying, I want you to leave that stuff here at the foot of the cross and I want you to pick up truth. That's, this is where freedom comes. It's starting to pick up truth, put it on again and again. In this passage in Ephesians 6, Paul is saying, pick it up, put it on. Don't be passive. Now listen, if you want to get free of stuff, things where you've been caught for years, your first thing you have to do is this, you have to choose whether you're going to pick it up or not. So in the Bible, in the gospel sometimes, Jesus meets someone who's blind or can't walk, and you know what? He asks them, he goes, what do you want me to do? You just think, Jesus, it's pretty obvious what the guy needs. Why is he asking? He's asking because sometimes we don't really want to change. We have accommodated this issue in our life, and it's just become the way we are. And so Jesus sometimes says to us, what do you want me to do? First thing we have to do is we have to choose, do I want this to be different? Um, Do I want to change? Do I want to get free of that thing? Sometimes, even now, you might be aware of that issue, and you think, do I want it? I do want to get free of it you have to choose, and then you have to start picking up truth. Not truth that you could write on a piece of paper and just leave at church, but truth that you carry that goes from here to here and that you stand in, you put it on, you pick it up, and you hold it. Because Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen. Let's stand together.